Everybody doing okay today? We have praised the Lord. We are saying how holy He is. And uh, we are continuing our series on holiness today. And we have spent the last couple of weeks talking about how God has called us to be holy. The fact that Christ is the one that makes us holy. And there is definitely a need for us to be holy. Now, what does that mean? Just to recap... Holiness means being set apart to be used by God. And every one of us in here that have prayed to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord has been given that call to be holy as God is holy. So as we dive into that this morning, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for what we've heard already in worship, Lord. We thank you for our Bible study classes that met earlier and for those that faithfully teach your word. Every morning, Lord, I just pray that you give our folks a love for that, Lord, a love for being with one another and a love for encouraging one another and learning the word together, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for this worship service and what we've already heard through worship. The devil's tried to get uh, his barbs into what's going on, but I pray right now for just the next few minutes that people won't worry about the pot roast at home. They won't worry about the problems they came in here with or what they're going to have to do for the rest of the day. But for, for 30 minutes today or less, Lord, may they just give you their undivided attention as we read your word, Lord, because we will lift you up. And you promise where we lift you up that you will draw all men unto yourselves, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. There has never been a stronger call Today, for believers like you and I to be holy. God has called us to be holy. A people set apart by the way that they act. By the way that they love. And the way that they serve others. That's how people define our, our Christian life. You know that, right? Is that if people, if you were to ask and do a focus group of your friends and those people you're around, you would say, how do you know this person is a Christian? It would be the way they love, the way they talk, and the way that they serve. But the fact is, is that sometimes when we try to pursue holiness, that is a race that can become exhausting. That is a race that sometimes it seems like it's all uphill. And there are times where you just want to stop. And there maybe even times in your pursuit of holiness where you go in the wrong direction. But the fact is... The, the, the gut level fact is that, amen. Thank you, Lord. Slamming doors and taking names. That's what he's doing this morning. But, uh, but we are so thankful that, that in our pursuit of holiness is that the fact is we can pursue it and we can be holy because that we are dead and alive. Dead and alive. Not wanted dead or alive, but wanted dead and alive. We can win the battle for holiness because we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Can you say that with me? Dead to sin and alive in Christ. If you don't remember anything else by the end of this message, you are going to remember I am dead to sin and alive in Christ because that is what His Word teaches us. So, it says in Romans 6.11, it says, So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word consider is a whole lot more than when you get 
a flyer in the mail inviting you to fill out a survey, or when you get an invitation to a party, you can consider whether you go to that or not. You, you look at your, your schedule and you see what is more important. Do you have anything open? Do you want to do that? Do you not want to do that? That is not this type of consider because the consider that is used here does not mean only to think about the fact that you are dead to sin and, a, and alive in Christ. Paul is saying here that our status as dead to sin and alive in Christ needs to be more than just a thought in our heads. Because by the end of this sermon, you were going to remember, I am dead to sin and I'm alive in Christ. And it's going to reside up here. And I, and I know because of the power of the Holy Spirit and the way that He works, you're going to remember that I am dead to sin and alive in Christ. You're going to remember, I am dead to sin and I'm alive in Christ. Yes, I am repeating a lot because I want you to remember you are dead to sin and alive in Christ. And when he says, consider that, he is saying, get it out of your head, get it into your heart, and get it out into your life. Consider means to, to calculate, to, to take all the checks and balances, and to, to make sure that your life is in line with what you say you believe. Because the pull between our sinful nature and being holy is not something that we will fully understand. We spoke into great detail about that last week in Romans chapter 7, where Paul was struggling so much with sin. But I want to show you an illustration. And this is one that it helps us understand our feelings, because the greatest fight that you're going to have as a Christian, and I hear this all the time, and I've used, used this term before, is that have you ever talked to somebody and you're asking them about what God's doing in their life or what, you know, some big decision they have. And they say, well, I feel like God is telling me this. Have you ever said that? I feel like God wants me to do something. Anybody ever said that? I'm the only one? All right, three of you. And the rest of you are lying. But we have all, you don't mind if I, I'm getting worked up here. Feelings are God-given. When you feel angry, that is a God-given feeling. When you are feeling amorous, that is a, a God-given feeling. When you are sad, that is a God-given feeling. God gives us feelings because they are the flavorings. They are, they are the, the moods that actually move us towards Him. Isn't it great to know that when you read in the Old Testament, that when God was angry with people, that anger is an emotion that He feels. And you can feel emotions too. But remember, we are dead to sin and alive in Christ, which means sometimes our feelings will lead us down the wrong road. So take, for example, this train that I put up on the screen here. This is how it's supposed to work. The train of fact, of faith, and of feeling. The promise of God's Word, the Bible, this is the engine. This is the fact. This is the fact, Jack, right? This is the truth that we live by. And then, not only do we trust the fact, 
of what God has given us in His Word, we have to have the faith to trust Him. And then, after we base our life on the fact, and then we live it out with our faith, then we have the feelings that confirm what God is doing in our lives. But here's the thing, folks. Too many Christians and too many people try to lead their train with the caboose of feelings. And they try to put the feelings in front of the fact. Now, I know probably some kids these days don't even know what a caboose is. I remember being in my grandmother's house in uh, Buchanan, Virginia, and there was a railroad track went right along the James River. And whenever there was a train going by, I always used to wait for that caboose to come by because there was always a guy in the back just waiting. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. But how dumb, how ineffective and inefficient would it be for someone to say, you know what, instead of letting the engine pull the train, we're going to let the caboose pull the train. Now the caboose is necessary because that is where a lot of the workers on the train slept. It was where they ate. It was basically their living quarters. And when you saw the caboose, you knew what? That was the end of the train. Right? Folks, if you try to live your life as a Christian by the way you feel, there is no power in that. God gave you feelings, but it was not designed to be the driving force in your life. This is the driving force. This is the fact. And so, where am I coming from? What, what am I really trying to say here? What I'm trying to say is, is that you, Christian, are dead to sin and alive in Christ. But some of you will say, Preacher, I haven't felt alive in Christ in a long time. Or you'll say, I haven't felt dead to my sin because I'm still in it. If you're still in your sin and you feel like you're in your sin, Christian, it's not because you have to be. Here's the bottom line, folks. Why do we sin? Why does anyone sin? Because we want to. Because we decide to. Because we base our, our lives on the feelings of the moment rather than the fact, the power, the, the thing that pulls our faith along is the fact that God gives us in His Word. And what powers us in our lives to, to follow the fact? It's the coal car of faith. It gives us the fuel to be able to live out our lives according to God's Word. And then the feelings. Look, I love cake as much as anybody else. And if you bake a cake and don't even put any icing on it, I will eat it and I will like it. But buddy, if you put icing on it, that's the good stuff. I mean, cake is cake, right? <laughs> I mean, I, look, I can attest to that. I'm a living testimony, amen? But you know what? The icing makes it really sweet. And it really brings it all together. And that's what feelings do. The thing is, God gave you feelings so that you can understand and relate to Him the way He wants to relate to you in a relationship. But Satan has come in and taken our feelings and distorted them. 
and made them wrong and made them sinful and made them. The purpose of our feelings is to draw us to God, but Satan is using our feelings to draw us away from God. You are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Look, claiming to be dead in sin and alive in Christ is a lot like depositing a check you have received. I think every one of us in here would like to receive a check. Amen? <laughs> yeah. But you believe when you have that check in your hand, you believe that when you take it to your bank, you're going to say, you know, fill this check for me, and you have faith that whatever that check is written for, from whomever it is, you've got faith that that money is going to be there. So what do you do? By faith, you endorse the check, and you write your name on it, and you take it to the bank. Because the, check will, the, the bank will not cash the check unless you endorse it. But you endorse it because you really believe the money is there. When you live your lives as dead to sin and alive in Christ, you are claiming the check. You are claiming the resources that God has already given you. It, what am I saying here? Is that holiness mean that we're perfect? Absolutely not. But what I'm saying here is that when we are caught in our sin and we are in our funk and we have no desire to be holy and we are child, children of God and we have the Holy Spirit within us, if we are not living the Christian life and the Holy Spirit is within us, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. And we are sinning because we choose to. But whether you feel like it or not, believer... You are dead to sin and alive in Christ. And let's go back to the fact that God says, Be holy as I am holy, right? Here's the coolest thing about that. Would God ever ask you to do something He wasn't willing to do Himself? Yes or no? No. Would God ever ask you to do something He hasn't equipped you for? No, right? So here's the thing. When he says, be holy as I am holy, what he's saying is, you might not even see it yourself, but you have the possibility of being holy. Whether you see it or not. Whether you feel like it or not. It's not a feeling, it's a fact. The second thing we see is that being dead to sin and alive in Christ is rooted in a word called contentment. Contentment. Philippians 4, 11-13 says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know both that I have little, and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through Him who strengthened me. If you want peace in your life, and if I want peace in my life, we are going to have to learn what contentment is. I was speaking with somebody um, earlier this morning, and uh, this is just a side note. You didn't pay for this, but you'll get it anyway. We were talking about tithing. And I was telling the folks, I said, I want you to understand something, that when God got a hold of my life and tithing became an act of worship, rather than an obligation or 
God putting my arm behind my back and making me do something, or even a point of contention, because some of you don't tithe, and right now you're cringing. And you're saying, oh, here we go, preacher. Let me hold on to my wallet. Move on, preach about something else. But let me tell you something what tithing has done for me. It gave me something nothing else of any money value ever gave me. It's contentment. Being happy with what I had because I know what I have is what God has given me. And that contentment that you can have, whether it be in your finances, in your relationship, when you say yes to your spouse, you have said no to everybody else. You are content. You are happy with what you have. You don't need other things. Contentment comes from knowing that you are dead to sin and alive in Christ because contentment brings satisfaction. If you're the type of person that, that feels like you have it all together and that you always are looking for the next venture, the next relationship, the next opportunity to make a buck or whatever it might be, there's nothing wrong with ambition. But when it drives you to the point of putting yourself before others, it is a sin. And if you can never be satisfied with something, whether, again, be, be a relationship or money or an addiction or whatever it may be, if you cannot be satisfied without that thing, then you need to know that you are not living in the fact that you as a Christian are dead to sin and alive to God. Because contentment brings satisfaction. And we can go all the way back to the garden and see that. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Then the woman saw that the tree of knowledge was good for food and a delight to look at. It was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Now, folks, Adam and Eve, they were in Eden, okay? They were in Eden where God had created them. They walked with Him. They had everything that they could ever need. But how did the serpent tempt them? He tempted them with contentment. He said, you've got everything you ever need, but if you were just to take of the tree of knowledge, you could have so much more. Don't be content with what God has given you, but go out and get a little more for yourself. Surely God won't matter it won't matter to him. Yeah, I know he said don't do it, but he loves you, and he'll let you do it anyway. Folks, that is what our nation is doing today. That is what our world is doing today. God has given us everything we ever need through Jesus Christ. We are dead to sin, and we are alive in Christ, but yet we still want more because we are sinful, and we are trying to pursue sin and those sinful desires that are in our lives. But here's the thing. If you are not content in your life, it reveals something about you. And my level of contentment will, result, will re reveal something about me. You know what that is? Your level of contentment will reveal the depth of your spiritual life. If you're never content with things, if you can never be pleased, if you can never have enough, then your spiritual life is very shallow. But if you're content with what God has given you, and you're doing the best you can with what God has given you, then your spiritual life is right on track. You show me a person that is not content, and I'll show you a person that is in conflict with themselves and with God. Like a tree. A tree has roots, and it gives nutrients and strength to handle storms. Contentment is those roots. You see these huge trees. What keeps them up during storms? is the root system 
underground that you cannot see. Things like worry, anger, short tempers, and critical spirits, they give proof to a lack of spirituality in a person's life. So, what does being alive in Christ really mean? If, if we are dead to sin and alive in Christ, what does that mean? Number one, if you're content, you're not going to fly off the handle. Number two, you're not surrendering to impulsive ideas in the moment of temptation. Number three, you're pursuing holiness to the point of obediently just playing the cards that God deals to you every day. And then number four, being content with all that God has provided you. I'm not saying it's a sin to want more than what you got. But when it comes before God, it becomes an idol. And that is a sin. God will give you exactly what you need when you need it. But contentment, it builds depth. So be content today. And and just a side note, contentment is not comfort. Being content does not mean that you are comfortable. Let me ask you something. Is there any scripture in the Bible that tells you that living a Christian life is supposed to be comfortable? I don't know about you, but Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross, not sitting in a lazy boy. The third thing we see is that the strength to be alive in Christ comes to the Holy Spirit. So it's a fact that you are alive in Christ and that being alive in Christ will make you content with what God is doing in your life. And then finally, you can be alive in Christ and it's not even up to you. Again, God will not call you to do something that He has not equipped you for or with. And we have the Holy Spirit. God gives you the strength to be holy. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Actually, before that, let me go to Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. In other words, God is saying, I will blow your mind if you just yield to me. And I will show you and do things to you that you never could imagine. You don't believe me? Look up here. I'm a pastor. (laughs) How crazy is that? I'm sure there were kids in high school who thought, there's no way that guy's going to do that. There were adults when I was growing up that said, that kid's going to be a pastor? There's no way. And you're right. In my own strength, there's no way I could do this. But it is God and the Holy Spirit that strengthens me to do this. And it's not because I am super spiritual and holy, but it's because I'm content with what God wants to do with me, and He can do whatever He wants. And that doesn't go just for somebody of the cloth, so to speak. It's for every one of you in here. God wants to do something in your life. And He will take you on a great adventure that you had never imagined if you only give Him the reins to lead you. Because God gives us the strength to be holy. Romans 8, 9 says... But if you are not controlled by your sinful nature, you are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember, those that don't have the Spirit of Christ living in them, they are not alive in Christ. They are dead in their sins. But we have the strength to be holy because it is our own, not our own strength, 
but the strength of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been in a situation to where the topic of the Lord comes up and you start talking, you, you don't know what to say, but you say, God, this person's got some good questions. I don't know what to say. You're going to have to speak through me. And all of a sudden you have an entire conversation and you don't remember a thing that you said. You ever had that happen? I, it was crazy. But you know what it is? It's the Holy Spirit speaking through you. Have you ever done something you never thought you'd do? I've been there. But what helps you to do this? The Holy Spirit. I remember one time there was this lady that uh, we were doing a, an ER rotation for when I was getting my EMT certification. And uh, they'd have you go into the emergency room and, and work X amount of hours. And so they, they brought in uh, a patient. And that patient, bless her heart, had uh, soiled herself. And I don't mean just a little bit. I mean a lot. And the nurses were busy. And you know what they loved? They said, we've got this grunt over here. Y'all take care of that. And I thought, how in the world can I take this lady and clean her up? There's no way I can do that. But I prayed. I said, God, give, give me the, the, the ability to not look at the stench that this person is in and clean them up in the way that they need to be. And you know what? He did. And so I can say literally, I've cleaned somebody up that was missing. Right? But then I think, God did the very same thing for me. He did the very same thing for you. You were sitting there with the stench of your sin all over you. And some of you are in the pews today with the stench of sin on you. And he says, you are dead to that stench. You are dead to sin. And you are alive in Christ. Let me clean you up. God will tell you and equip you and let you do things you never thought you would do. Not because you're brave. You might be. Not because you are well-liked or you have the physical ability. Those are definitely helps. But the reason you'll do something you never thought you'd do is because the Holy Spirit is doing it through you. If you will let Him do it. And depending on the Holy Spirit for the strength to be holy, it must be a habit. If you do nothing else, repeat this to yourselves. I am dead to sin and alive in Christ. I am dead to sin, alive in Christ. When you go home and that same temptation comes up, I am dead to sin and alive in Christ. When you're at work this week and you get that email that just sends shivers down your back and all that tension just starts to build, I am dead to sin and alive in Christ. When God tells you to go speak to someone about Him and you say, I don't want to do that. I'm afraid of what they'll say. I am dead to sin and alive in Christ. Next Saturday morning or Saturday night before church, and you've already made your decision whether you're going to go or not, say, I'm dead to sin and alive in Christ. Folks, if the church would be alive like God has said it is, we couldn't keep the doors closed. We are dead to sin and alive in Christ. And then, if anything, if you could learn from David how the Holy Spirit will teach you how to see 
your desire to be holy. David had a desire to be holy. And we've learned this from David. We spent probably the better part of a year studying David with our young adults. And so it, the story is kind of fresh with me. But you, everybody, you know, David, unfortunately, one of his, his most memorable moments is not only David and Goliath where he slays the giant, but where he falls to sin, to temptation with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. He kills her husband. And then the great thing is, is that in 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 7, this is such a picture of today. Please, if you will, turn with me to that because we're almost done. But I want you to see this. This is not just my words. This is not just a cute illustration that I've pulled out. This is a biblical account of a man dealing with his sin and his pursuit to be holy. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. This is after David had committed the sins of murder and rape and adultery. It says, So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that had been he had bought. He raised it. He grew it up, living with him and his children. So it became the house pet. It shared his meager food with and drank from his cup. It slept in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. David was infuriated with the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man did this who did this deserves to die because he has done this thing and shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. Boy, he was the king, and he was mad about that sin, wasn't he? Boy, he was really self-righteous. Just like so many Christians today. We will go on the warpath about different social issues that are out there today. And granted, they are issues. And I mean it, they are. But too many of Bible-believing Christians are talking about what they're against. And nobody's talking about what they're for. And they're pointing at the sin of everybody else. And they're saying, this is outrageous. That our nation would be like this. This is outrageous that our country would be like this. Our politicians have lost their way. Our schools are evil. Our governments are corrupt. Our police can't handle anything anymore. Everything is so bad with this world. That is what David is saying here. How dare that man come and kill that lamb of that poor man that was basically the house pet. I'll get him back. You tell me what I need to do, Nathan. So self-righteous about the sins of others. Nathan replied to David in in verse 7. Nathan replied to David, You are the man. You are the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. 
What am I trying to say here? You are dead to sin and alive in Christ. But if you want to be holy, if you want to become holy, you have to address the sin that is in your life and not only worry about the sin of others. There are so many people that can righteously judge the sin of somebody else. Meanwhile, their heart is full of it. Don't be self-righteous. Be holy. Be humble. Be content. Be satisfied. And own your own sin. And I promise you, if you do that and live your life, one that shows love, one that shows compassion, one that shows the gospel to others, that will turn our world around. But you getting on a rant with sin in your own life doesn't help one bit. David saw that. And more importantly, God sees that. God can begin the process of making us holy when we have a desire for Him to do that. The only reason that we would not desire to be holy is because of one roadblock. You know what that roadblock is? Pride. Pride. So, in conclusion, I would say this, that being dead to sin and alive in Christ is actually a balancing act. It's a balancing act between two things. I remember when I was a kid, a little portly kid in kindergarten, in first grade, second grade, we'd go to the playground. Man, we used to love the playground. And man, they'd have seesaws. You remember seesaws? They're fun, aren't they? Nobody ever seesaw with me. I don't know why. Because there weren't, I mean, there was a few big kids. So, you know, when it came to, oh, James on the seesaw, we'll, we'll wait until he gets off. So, all I ever saw him was a C. I never had a seesaw, I had C's. We never saw them. Every now and then we'd get one person on there that I could seesaw with, it'd be fun. Or maybe it'd take one of me and Two girls, but anyway, we'd walk it out, we'd have fun. But we were out of balance. And folks, the way we balance being dead to sin and alive in Christ, and by the way, this is not a one time fix, okay? You can't make five easy payments of nine ninety nine and get it fixed. Alright? This is a daily battle, a daily balancing act. Our will must obe- must be obedient to God and his word. But our faith must be dependent upon His Word. Folks, your pursuit of holiness can begin this very moment and this very day. Do not think it consists of a a set of rules, like reading the Bible and obeying obeying it perfectly. If a preacher ever told you, if you want to be a holy Christian, you were going to read everything in this Bible and, and obey it, to every letter. Yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. But it's humanly impossible. We are imperfect people. And too many Christians have tried to live up to some legality of I gotta do this, I gotta do that. And God is saying, There's no legalism here. You're holy because I am holy and Christ is in you. And if you failed yesterday, pick it up today. And if you fail today, pick it up tomorrow. 
because my grace is sufficient for you. And again, if, if you think that that's unspiritual, then you go look at Paul's life and see how much he struggled with it every day. Folks, our pursuit of holiness is proof that we need a Savior. So, in closing, I would say just do this for the rest of the week. Make it a habit. They, they say now that it takes usually two months for a habit, to, to, for a, a thing to become a habit. If you could just say this to yourselves every day, put it on your mirror, put it on your, your car dash, or you know, put it on your phone or text message or whatever you want to do. But just say, I am dead to sin and alive to God. And watch what He'll do with it. You say it enough, you might start believing it. And if you start believing it, you might just start acting like it. Because the Holy Spirit is within you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You that You have called us to be holy. And dear Heavenly Father, we just know that being holy without You is impossible. And if there, were, if there was someone in here today that is dead in their sin, and they know that they are a sinner, and they know that they are not alive, and they know that if they were to die right now, they would spend eternity separated from You in hell. And they don't know how to get to heaven. They don't know how to be alive in Christ. I beg and plead, Lord, that they would come forward. I will pray with them. I will, I will pray the sinner's prayer with them. And that's the beginning of a journey of discipling them and showing them what it takes to be alive in Christ. Because, Lord, if, if they're too scared to come forward here, then it's going to be a lot harder to stay in the world. So, Lord, if someone would like to come forward, they can. Maybe they want to join the church. Maybe they just want to pray at the altar. Lord, whatever the decision might be, Lord, may you move. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?